0: Can someone give a shout to the foyer folks? Foyer folks? Foyer folks? Foyer folks. Hey, Ken, can you get me a glass of water? Or hot tea would be good. Nice. Hot tea? Yeah. tea. Black
1: tea. Just black.
0: Awesome. So we're going to begin with actually just reading our text together. Um, So Peter's going to do that, uh, lead us in a reading. We're actually reading a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And and then uh, we'll kind of work our way through the text afterwards. But I thought it'd be good. It's not a long chapter, 16 verses. And uh, then Pete's going to pray, pray for me. 1 Corinthians
2: 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to visit you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power mm. so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Yeah. We do not, however, speak a message of wisdom among the... We do, excuse me, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the, of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom... A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Mm. Lord. Bless Gordy as he shares. May his words not be his own, may not be a merely human wisdom, but may they be the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and be between Gordy's words as he speaks them and uh, as our hearts as we receive them so that we may receive through you that we may understand through the Spirit. Uh, give us spiritual understanding and spiritual power to live a new life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate
0: that. So we are in a series called Thermometers or Thermostats. And the whole idea behind that is as the church, are we being influenced by the culture and reading the, in reading the culture or are we influencers? And we know there's this tension because we're not living outside of culture. We're not living outside of our society. We live within society. And so we have to converse and communicate with the world, with the society, with the culture. And so it produces tensions. And uh, Corinth was a very uh, metropolitan church, like, or petro- metropolitan city, like Vancouver, uh, very multicultural, very international. It was a cross section for trade and commerce. Uh, many different religions in the city. And Paul's dream of the church was, of course, to be a church that reflects the incredible diversity of Corinth, but in doing it in unity. And that dream was turning into a nightmare as the the church in Corinth had dissolved into this group of factions and uh, celebrity cults that were at odds with each other. And one of the factors that was Contributing to this division was this whole understanding of the the uh, the relationship between faith and reason. There was a uh, Corinth, being a church set in Greece, not far from Athens, was a center, an intellectual center. There was a lot of value and and uh, esteem placed on knowledge and education, and of course. Uh, Plato and Aristotle and all these guys had a real influence on, on the thinking of the time. And so Apollos, who was one of the guys that helped uh, pass through the church, was a very oratorical, uh, gifted speaker, very eloquent from Alexandria in Greece, which was another very uh, education, educational center in the Mediterranean world from Egypt. And, uh, and so people were kind of picking their favorite teacher. They were picking their favorite personality, and there was there was this division that was was happening, and so Paul's going to address this. He's going to address this uneasy relationship between faith and reason, which has always been an issue uh, through church history. Is reason good? Is it bad? Is it does it get in the way of of knowing God and making Him known, and uh, and so this. Uh, This uneasy relationship started in Bible times, but it continued through church history. Um, And and, and in the the Enlightenment era, uh, which began probably in the 17th century uh, of Europe, was a time when there was this renaissance of Greek thought and exalting the human intellect and elevating the power of human reason to solve all the problems of the human race. And uh, the reason, uh, uh, of course, depended on data supplied by our senses. You know, sight, taste, touch, smell, hearing. And so the whole uh, scientific revolution started. That science was the answer. The scientific method was the answer to, to solving the world's problems. And, and interestingly enough, with this, this fresh exaltation of reason in the 17th century came individualism where the value of the individual became exalted over the community. And um, interestingly, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, had not happened long before that, and much of the Protestant Reformation has been influenced by the Enlightenment. The whole way we view faith, it's all based on cerebral reason, right doctrine, right thinking, make sure your theology is correct, it's based on knowledge. The seminary has been exalted as the, the place of authority in the church world. And the teacher, the, t- the, the t- teaching position has been exalted as the most important, as opposed to the altar in the mass that you saw in the Catholic Church. Interesting, isn't it? Um, this was all influenced by the Enlightenment. Maybe I should sit down and we'll just speak in tongues for a while. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, we placed a high degree, even to this day, the high degree on, on academic degrees, uh, jobs at Safeway notwithstanding, uh, which often happens even with you, if you have a Ph.D. nowadays. Um, but, you know, they look good on your resume, uh, those degrees, and we tend to listen more readily to somebody that's got the letter behind their name. Um, and for the last 500 years, this has been the case. But ironically, in a time when we have a greater proliferation of knowledge, like, a junior high student can check me out and no matter what I'm saying, even if I have a master's degree, they can check me out in 30 seconds if I'm on in line, you know, just they got their little phone there and just checking me out, making sure my facts are right. It's, it's amazing. But there's now a suspicion of all this in our culture today. We're recognizing that just academic information is not enough and that our senses are not adequate to provide us the data that we need to, to, to flourish as human beings. And we're recognizing that IQ is not enough. We need EQ. We need emotional intelligence, relational intelligence, that these are important. And so, uh, the result of the Enlightenment was that knowledge equals power, but earlier in the 20th century there was the rise of what was called the Pentecostal movement, which is now the fastest growing sector of the Christian church. The, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic movement is just exploding around the world. But I grew up in that, in that movement, in and, and what's called First Wave Pentecostal, and we had this view that the more knowledge you had, the less power you had. And a lot of it was based on this passage that we've read today, this text. It was based on a misunderstanding, I think, of the text, and I want to go through why that was. But it was like academic knowledge and education actually got in the way And the reason was, is when God began to pour out His Spirit at the beginning of the 20th century, we had women, uneducated people, children, who were starting to heal the sick, cast out demons, and some guy with a PhD couldn't solve a person's problem, and somebody with no education would come and cast the demon out. (laughs) problem solved. And in its... You know, there, there's good reason for this. Around the world, there are the, some of the greatest signs and wonders and growth of the church are happening with people who have no seminary education, have no degrees, because they haven't learned that you can't do it yet. They read the Bible, it says heal the sick. They haven't learned you can't do it yet. As Wiki Pratner used to say, we now know how to disobey God in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. <laughs> right? And so there was this suspicion towards all things academic in my background. There was this kind of suspicion that uh, somehow it gets in the way of, the, of, the, of trusting God. What, what happened was the academics in the early 20th century began to react to Pentecostalism. And of course there was flesh and human uh, failing in this. There was human emotional manipulation. And they began to accuse it of, of simply being that, writing it off as that charlatanism and fakery, or even worse, the work of the devil. And of course, there was a no- counter-reaction that says that uh, people that have academic information are, res- resist the Holy Spirit. And so there was this kind of little graph here. If you can see on the left that represents knowledge, and the right is power. And the more knowledge you have, the less power. So I kind of grew up seeing this visual teeter, teeter-totter. It was like, a, you know, it was like this... And the more knowledge you had, the less power you had, the less you moved in the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody influenced by that? I certainly, that certainly was something that affected me up well into my 20s in ministry. But there were two things in my life that changed that. When I had my, I had my burnout in, in 1988, I had a few years in the UK where I was able to study church history. And all of a sudden, I began to find that these incredible academics through church history, great minds... Equivalent of double PhDs also moved in the power of God. Moved in the power. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the, 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 the fathers of Cappadocia. Those, uh, you know, St. Gregory, uh, Gregory of Nyssa. And um, uh, St. Augustine. And, and, and founders of, of reform movements. These guys were incredibly educated. And yet they moved in the power of God. It wasn't a contradiction. And Secondly, there was a guy named John Wimber came into my life. And he was at Fuller Seminary, and he had the presence of mind to do a study on church growth around the world. And they found out that the churches were growing in the world where there were signs and wonders. So he had the presence of mind to do a research project on that. And lo and behold, God began to do signs and wonders in the seminary class. And the rest, as they say, is history because the vineyard was born. And so I think it came together for me one day when I was walking down the street here in Vancouver. And I saw this BC Hydro pamphlet, and it was laying on the ground, and it said, it's time to be power smart. And I listened to that, and I thought, you mean you can have both power and smart? So the Lord used BC Hydro to speak to me. So speaking of thermostats and thermometers, um, how does our intellect help us in our life with God, and how does it get in the way? What is the place of our intellect? Well, one of the important tasks that we all have in interpreting the Bible is, of course, it's it's important to look at the genre of the literature. In other words, when you interpret Scripture, in other words, hermeneutics being what does the Bible mean, what did it mean when it was written, and what does it mean for us today? Part of our task is to determine the kind of genre or the kind of literature. You know, those of you that have taken English in any shape or form, know that there's different kinds of literature and you don't read poetry the same way as you would read a narrative and you don't read a narrative the same way you would read law and so what is the genre of literature we are reading today what is that it's not a tricky question it's a letter it's a human correspondence from one party to another uh, now, often in our day and age, when correspondence is written, we think individualism, because we've been influenced by the Enlightenment, and we think the Bible was written to, to a person. That We think the Bible's written to me. Well, actually, the Bible is written to us. The most effective way to read Scripture is to read it when we come together. Did you know for 1,500 years, they didn't have Bibles and tablets and cell phones like we have? There was little accessibility, and you know the only time somebody could read the Bible was on Sunday. They would come together and they had one great big, you know, expensive papyrus that they would read scripture from. And they would all have to come and listen to it together. That's why I like PowerPoint. It's my papyrus, right? It's wonderful to come and read it together. But it's important to read scripture corporately. That it's a message to not just me, but to us. We're in this together. And that's very important. The second thing is, is that when you read a letter... How many know there's, a, there's usually a reason for the letter? There's a, an occasion for it being written. We call it an occasional letter, which doesn't mean that it just comes once in a while. It means that it, it had a purpose. There were some issues that Paul felt he needed to write the letter. And, and so a, reading a letter is a little bit like listening to a... We've often heard this illustration. It's like listening to a phone conversation where you hear a person talking on the phone but you don't hear the other person talking. So it's really important to know what the other person is saying so that you don't take... How many have ever listened to somebody talking on the phone and misinterpreted what they said Uh, because you didn't hear what the other person was saying? I could give you a few examples, but uh, I don't have time. But it does happen, doesn't it? It's very important to get the context. And so I've already given you a bit of the context that Corinth. I gave some to you last week. Talked a little bit today, a little more about the divisions, the party spirit that is going on in the church. But basically, people were picking their favorite pastor. Well, I'm of Wimber. Well, I'm of I'm of Redding. You know, I'm 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 one of those Redding guys. Or I'm going with the Catholics. Or you know, I'm I'm just a good <coughs> died in the wool evangelical. Bless God. Right. We all pick our little favorite pet emphases. And we don't recognize it's all part of the church. It's all needed gifts of the body. And God's doing that in this day. He really is. And so the, this is what was happening in Corinth. And so Paul, uh, in, in the context of these, these letters, he, did, he reminds them. He reminds them of how he came to them. Because he was their father, spiritually. He was the one who birthed them in, into the faith. And he's saying, you guys are all impressed with this orator and that speaker and and how gifted this person is. Remember how I came to you. And here's how he says it. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, we're talking about a double Ph.D. guy, maybe more. We're talking about a guy that was not only versed in Jewishness, in the Torah, but in Greek. Like, he probably had a Ph.D. in Jew and a Ph.D. in Greek. He was just like, you name it, he had it. He had the pedigree. But what does he say? I deserve, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Now, I've read that all my life, and I've always read that and thought, oh, how spiritual. You know, Paul's got these PhDs, and he's so smart, and he's so gifted, and he's so powerful. I mean, he strikes people blind if he doesn't like them. And, well, it's not quite true, but... I mean, he, he carried a lot of power in his ministry. He healed the sick. He raised a dead guy. I mean, he was powerful. And so I thought, well, it's nice that he says I came in weakness and in fear and trembling. But I did a little, this is one of the advantages of studying biblical languages. I did a little study of these words. And as I read it, I went, wait a minute. When he said I was afraid, he meant he was afraid. And I, all of a sudden I began to think about what Paul had just come from. Do you know what had just happened in his life? Do you remember? Remember he... He was trying to get into Asia Minor, and he kept trying to knock on doors, and the doors were being closed. And and then he got this vision. This man from Macedonia, part of Greece today, coming over and help us. And he says to his Silas, Hey, I heard a word from God. Let's go. Let's let's rumble. We're going to take the kingdom. Bless God. So he gets over to, to Philippi, and he casts this demon out of this fortune teller girl. And all the guys that were making money off her got really <clears throat> angry. <laughs> Sorry, East Van. Sometimes I forget. And <clears throat> so um, so they, they get all mad, and they beat the crap out of him. They take him and tie him up to a post along with his traveling partner. Now, it's hard enough to get beaten yourself, but when somebody you love is all... And so he's tied up and they take rods, and every time I think of this, it says, I was reading it this week and I read, and it says they beat them severely. Now we're talking the first century, we're talking the Roman culture, we're talking about, hey, nothing politically correct about this one, folks. Beat him severely, probably beat him within an inch of his life with rebar. Have you ever had rebar? Something like a rebar coming over your back and your your chest and your legs. And you can hard—you can hardly. You're swollen. You can hardly get up. Then they take you, and they don't—they're not gentle. They don't call 911. They don't call the paramedics. They just drag you, and they throw you into a, a stinking jail with snakes and and uh, bugs and rats, who like to feed on injured flesh. And they put you in stocks so you can't move. They put your feet in stocks so you can't move. So in the middle of that, at midnight, Paul and Barnabas are looking at each other and they're going, do you think we miss God? Paul, did you have too much mac and cheese the other night with that vision of yours? I think, no, that's not what they did. They began to sing. They began to worship. They began to praise God. You know, I, I, we, we all, I've often heard sermons on that and they're so triumphal. I, I don't even know how Paul would have had the strength to sing. But they sang. They sang. And he worshiped. And God, God in heaven looked down and he saw, he heard those guys, Amazing grace. Ah, sound like a guy's voice is just changing. Oh, sweet the sound. right? And God looked down and he said, he heard them singing. He said, Michael, Gabriel, get over here. And he said, do you see that? Look at those guys. They just took the beating of, within an inch of their life and they're singing to me. Michael, slap. When have you ever loved me like that? <laughs> God just got so excited, he started jumping around. Right? See, you can tell I'm Pentecostal, right? He started kind of jumping around, and then the whole earth shook. It shook, and it set him free. And, of course, the, the jailer was going to slit his own throat because you don't let prisoners free in Rome because they they, they'll kill you, but they'll take their time doing it. So he just was going to take his own life. And Paul said, save yourself. The guy says, how can I be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now is that manipulative or what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Anyway, the jailer and his family get saved and Paul, Paul gets this exit out of Philippi and he goes to the next city called Thessalonica and guess what? He wins a few people to Christ. Another riot happens. Instead of him getting beat up, his new converts get beat. So it's one thing to be beaten yourself. It's another thing to watch your babies beaten. It's it's another thing to watch people hurt because they believed your word. Because they decided to follow the Jesus that you follow. That traumatized Paul. He had to run from Thessalonica, and he runs to Berea. Same thing, another riot. He has to run from Berea, he he runs to Athens, he goes to Athens and it's a failure. He preaches his heart out and he hardly gets any converts. And by the time he comes to Corinth, the the literal Greek word was he was traumatized. Paul was in trauma the fear that he had, the Greek word literally means that you feel like pulling back. You feel like pulling out. You feel like just stepping back. I, I'm not going forward anymore. I can't. And there's a sense of inadequacy and being overwhelmed and shaking. That's how Paul came to them. But in spite of being afraid, in spite of feeling like he's got nothing less, that he's a washout, that he missed God, he's thinking, I should have stayed back in Antioch and just been faithful in my local church. But instead of doing that, he said, God, I believe I heard you. And even though I feel I have nothing to give and nothing to offer, I'm going to speak. And he went for a couple of days, for a few days. And Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Paul, don't be afraid. You know what, Paul? I don't know, I've always idolized Paul. He's the most courageous guy I've ever met. I I didn't meet him, but I feel like I have. He's the most courageous guy that's got to have ever lived in church history. He was scared. Crapless. He was scared. He was just scared. And that encourages me, because I'm often scared. I have to tell you, I'm often scared. But I have a choice as to whether I'm going to allow my fear to decide what I do. Or whether are am going to obey God. Amen. It's the same with every one of us. And when you do that, there's something about the power of God that comes again and again and again where you don't put your confidence in human wisdom, human abilities. Oh, is he ever a good speaker? Or is he ever gifted? Or is she ever this or that? What a great singer. Has nothing to do with it. Your confidence is in the power of God. And so Paul said, you guys weren't impressed with me. I was probably still bruised and beaten. I was weak. Some people say he was sick with bad eyes. I don't think so. I mean, you know, you can't get beaten like that and not have some swollen eyes and just be swollen head and body. But you weren't impressed by me. You were impressed by God, by God alone. And I was tempted to go back to my nice, safe existence in Calgary. I mean, Jerusalem, or wherever he was from. But it would be so boring. It'd be so boring. Now look at this. You want to talk about knowledge? Look what he says. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You want to talk about knowledge? You want to talk about education? Here's what I want us to work on. Knowing Jesus, knowing him, walking with him, exploring him, that I may know him, he said to the Philippians, that real knowledge means nothing unless it's relational. Real knowledge is worth nothing if it doesn't help you love God and love your neighbor that I may know him and him crucified. What was our first sin? Our first sin was intellectual pride, where the serpent said to Eve, take it into your own hands. You'll become smart like God. You'll become wise like God. Intellectual pride. The cross just strikes a death blow to intellectual pride. First of all, it strikes a death blow to inter- intellectual pride. Because the cross tells you and I no matter how smart we are no matter how many PhDs we are we are lost we don't like that we like to think we can figure it out we're smart we can get ourselves out of our problems the cross says you're lost you're going the wrong way you secondly it says you're you need help you're helpless that for all of our intelligence, we cannot resolve our dilemmas. We need a savior. We don't like that. The cross also tells us that we're all on a level of playing field. That no matter how good you are, or how smart you are, or how good deeds you've been doing, that you're in the same place as that criminal that's in jail, that you need the same mercy, and that offends our pride. We all need the same mercy. We all need the same grace. And for the Jews, the cross is offensive because we want a Messiah that can beat up our enemies and kill the Romans. We don't want a Messiah that got killed by the Romans. That, that's messed up, man. And we, want, we are offended because there's nothing that you and I can ever do to win God's favor except trust in what Jesus already did for us and just receive and believe. And that's offensive to our pride because we want to earn our way, pay our way, bribe our way. And God says, no, I love you. Just receive my love. Receive my unconditional grace. It's all yours. And David knew that, Ian. David understood that so beautifully. So Paul then goes on to say, but we do speak a, a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. So there is, there is a place for intellect. There is a place for reason. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The cross is also offensive because our intellectual pride doesn't like the fact that there is no way we can know God through our reason. We can't know Him that way. The only way we can know God is that He first reveals Himself to us. That we do not have the capacity both intellectually and morally to know God and to connect with Him. That we need God's initiative to reveal Himself to us, which He did through the Incarnation, through Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection. God initiated. But even that is stupid to us, makes no sense to us without the Holy Spirit coming and saying, this is what this means. This is what I did for you. This is my love for you. And that's offensive to us. Because we, we like to think we can figure that all out on our own. And reason can't give us to that. The rulers of this age, the best that they could come up, the best of this world they could come up with is they murdered the creator. I remember that First Nations elder up in Liard, in, Steve, uh, who told me there's an ancient legend in the Casca people about thousands of years ago when the whole world turned dark and stayed dark for a whole day. And the the legend came back that somebody killed the Creator. It's still in their legend to this day. Remarkable. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep, things of God." So God is a relational God. God is about love. He's not about how smart you are, how intelligent you are. Nothing wrong with intelligence. But intelligence finds its place in the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength." So it takes its place with all other kinds of intelligence. Relational intelligence, emotional intelligence, spiritual intuitive intelligence. All of those are so important. There's so many studies even for children on the the multi-different ways that children learn today. God understands that. He made us. Now, I want to show you something that's just absolutely remarkable. This just blew me away this week. As Paul goes on to say, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? So you think about it. Who knows what you're thinking right now? You. Your spirit. That, that's the real you is your spirit. Right? That's the lamp of God, the, the breath of God that was breathed in you when God created you, when you were conceived. That part of you knows what you're thinking. Right? So Paul then goes on to say, you know, that part of you, I should say, not only knows what you're thinking, but what you're longing for, what your dreams are, what breaks your heart. More than anything else, anyone else, you know what's going on in your mind, right? So then Paul goes on to say, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Did you get that? Hello? Who knows your mind? Your spirit, right? In you. Who knows the mind of God? The Holy Spirit, His spirit. And he has done what with his spirit? He's placed his spirit in you. Yeah. Freely. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the spirit, explaining spirituality, realities with spirit-taught words. The Greek of that, by the way, is incredible. This, where, the, it, Paul just goes crazy here. He goes crazy. The words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritualities with Spirit taught words. I look at the Greek in this with human wisdom, but in pneumatos, explaining pneumatica with pneumatikois. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. God has put his spirit in you, and it is his spirit in you that gives you the capacity to understand his mind and his heart and to know what he wants and therefore to act upon it because God gets what he wants. God gets what He dreams. And all we need to do is align ourselves with His dreams and His wants and His desires. And we can know what breaks His heart so that we can act in faith and say, Lord, let Your kingdom come. Let justice come. Let mercy come. Let let righteousness roll like a river. and Justice is an ever-failing stream. Right? It gives us that sense of partnering with God. He's put His Spirit in us. For the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Well, that word, without the Spirit, person without the Spirit, is psychikos. It literally means a soulish person. It means a person who's got feelings, has got emotions, they've got thoughts, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so the things of the Spirit are not only foolish to them, but boring. You ever heard that? Boring. Now, being a Pentecostal pastor's kid growing up in the church, I had a unique vantage point for that. I grew up in the church, and I I had some incredible encounters with God as a kid, but I kind of went into this backslidden phase for a few years in my early teens, from about 13 to 15, 16 years of age and church was the most worst mor- time of my week. I would come I just would endure it. I'd come and I'd bring my friends and we'd cut up in church and fool around and sometimes I'd get in trouble and and it was just all ways to cope with the boredom that I was feeling. Just sitting through this stuff to be man, you and to Some of you are doing that right now. Yeah. And so um, so at the age of 16 I had this incredible encounter with Jesus just fell in love with him and I, I understood that grace that I talked about earlier where it was not up to me that I was loved unconditionally something happened in me what was so boring to me I couldn't wait to hear I couldn't wait to get there in my Bible I was just like an animal voracious appetite what was the difference? it was the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit does that, right? So then Paul says some strange stuff here, and we'll wrap it up. He says, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Now that sounds really arrogant. It sounds like, oh yeah, we're Christians, we can go around judging everybody, but nobody has to judge us. Well, the key is the word anacrino. The word is is not make a decision or a judgment in the sense of a final judgment. The word is to sift and to weigh and to discern. And what Paul is saying is, is that the key is, is that you're in the Holy Spirit. A person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled and influencing, influenced by the Holy Spirit, and as long as you are there, then you have a vantage point to discern and to sift, but... If you get into your flesh, if you, it's like Peter. Remember, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the next breath, he's starting to rebuke Jesus for saying that he was going to go to the cross. And Jesus turned around to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So when you're that way, that verse doesn't count.
3: <laughs>
0: when you're being influenced by the devil and by your flesh, that doesn't count, but when you are full of the Holy Spirit and operating the Spirit, you have a, you're like, a, blind, you're like a, a being in a room full of blind people and you're the only person that can see. That's what Paul, that's kind of the context that he's talking about there. Not to judge people, but to, to sift through and make sure somebody doesn't walk over a cliff. Right? Do harm to themselves. That's the heart of this. And our world is—I'll tell you what—our world is crying out for answers. I'll tell you what—we've had. There was another crazy murder last night in L.A., where a guy just went ballistic, killed a bunch of college students, knifed them, killed himself, and the father got on said the same thing as a father in Calgary that happened a few weeks ago. Said the same thing. This is totally uncharacteristic. This is not like our son. He's never been this way. I'll tell you what, our world is waking up to the fact that all the intelligence and all the rationalism and all the reason that we have is not cutting it for the human needs that we have. There's a real devil out there and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy and it is time for the church to rise up in the authority that Christ has given us and to use that authority. The the world is knowing this better than we are. So so Paul finishes, and this is, is, I'm going to tie a bow on this right here. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now here's the context. Are you ready? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, yeah, I have the mind of Christ. And I go, you don't have no mind. You're three bricks short of a load, you. Right. What did I say at the beginning? The context, the letter, who is it written to? Who is it written to? Is it written to me? Is it written to you? Yes. It's written to us. All of us. Yes. What Paul is saying is you crazy Corinthians, you are competing and you're fighting with one another. You're pitting gifts of the body against one another. Don't you know you're shooting yourselves in the foot? We're a body. We're one body, not 20 different bodies. Uh, we, we're not 20 different bodies with 20 different brains. There's one mind of Christ, and we can only know that mind when we're a family, when we're a body, when we walk in love and unity, and we celebrate diversity and unity, and we celebrate the Pauls and the Apollos and the Peters and the different gifts. We need all of them to know the mind of Christ. It's as we come together. And discern, and listen to one another, and humble ourselves, and celebrate that diversity that we get the mind of Christ. There is a corporate weighing, sifting, and discernment. We have the spirit of God, but it's corporate. Yes, you know, there's nobody that loves being alone more than me. I told our leadership team on Wednesday night that's the greatest thing that gives me life. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an introvert, so I get my energy from being alone. But I have to be careful because what happens is I so quickly go from what's called solitude, legitimate solitude, which is a spiritual discipline in the Bible and in church tradition, and you move into isolation. And there's a real difference. And I'm susceptible to that. I have to watch that being an introvert because I know that there are things about God and about his mind and about his heart that I'm never going to get unless I get together with you unless we are a body, unless we are the building, the temple. And and so I often have to go against my own personal grain and preference to be social, but when I've obeyed the Holy Spirit and like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, know how to be alone, but also know how to be in community, the life of God comes, the mind of God comes, the heart and perspective of God comes, encouragement comes, strength We need each other. We can't do it alone. So, in conclusion, the ultimate intelligence is relational. True and ultimate intelligence is relational, which means we need one another for ultimate wisdom, as only together do we truly have the mind of Christ. Only together do we truly have the mind of Christ. We need one another. Now, Paul is setting them up. I mean, chapter 3, look out. Chapter 3 and 4, old man, look out. Whoa. He's just kind of just circling his plane, just, zzz, just taking his time. But boy, he's going to land that thing, kabam. And the Corinthians are going to get it once and for all. We can't be in this alone. We need each other. So... Um, I'm going to give you the three questions for uh, reflection that are in your bulletin, but I feel there's some ministry... Do we bring some oil? Oh, we don't have oil. Does anybody have oil? Dixie, you got oil. She's always got oil. All right. For reflection, first of all, have you tended to overvalue or undervalue the place of the intellect in your life with God? God created us to do church and life together, and our minds were given as a gift to uh, to help us love God and love one another. And the gift of inquiry, the gift of listening, the gift of thinking uh, are, are wonderful gifts. So the Enlightenment wasn't all bad. I think there's wonderful skills that have come through the Enlightenment. Did you know that the church birthed the universities? The church was the one that birthed the universities. Did you know, by the way, the church birthed hospitals? So, all you know, next time you're getting an argument with somebody about how many bad things the church has done, which is true, (laughs) Um, we did a few things right. How has the church and culture's view of intellect affected your sense of worth and relationship With others, have you tended towards inferiority or superiority? You kind of, you know, get around somebody and go, well, they're so smart, I'm not going to say anything. You know, we need to hear God through the whole body. We need to hear him through our children. Let's not forget this upside-down kingdom that we're in. And thirdly, faith sometimes contradicts reason. And, for example, when we are short on finances, God asks us to often be more generous, not less, doesn't he? I mean, if you've been walking with him for any amount of time, you go, oh God, I'm short of money. He says, okay, just give a little bit more. That's that's opposite to human reason. And that's just one tiny example. I love St. Francis' prayer. Let us not so much seek to be loved as to love. Let us not so much seek to be understood, but to understand. For it is in dying that we live. So discuss some points in your life currently where faith and reason are in conflict and pray for each other that way. And here's the thing that I feel that the Lord wants to really I just felt his spirit strong on this as I was preparing this week is how many here today you are overwhelmed by what's before you. You feel like you just don't have what it takes. You're traumatized. Maybe you feel trauma. You're literally trembling with what's before you. And it's easier, you are being tempted right now to pull back, to go backwards instead of forward. And The Father says, I got your back. Father says, I'm for you. Father says, I'm on your side. And the reason why you're where you are is because you're going to know that it's me. There's not going to be any deception and somehow you pull this off. You're going to know it's me. That's why I love being in this church. This church has been a miracle from day one and it will continue to be a miracle. God's got her back. And he's going to show us that it's his church. Not yours, not mine, it's his. Amen. And so I feel like today we need to pray for brothers and sisters who are facing that kind of sense of being overwhelmed, that sense of inadequacy, that sense of, of, of feeling like you want to pull back instead of move forward. So we want to pray for you. I also uh, was reading in the Gospels this morning where Jesus sent out the disciples. It says he sent them out and they went everywhere preaching that people should repent and they cast out demons and they anointed people with oil and healed the sick. So if you're sick here today, if you're in pain, we're going to anoint you with oil and lay hands on you and, and, and just obey God. I don't feel like I have any power to heal today. I don't feel like I have any power to cast out demons today. I feel like it's just words dribbling off the end of my mouth. But I'm going to obey God. And I've seen sometimes he just loves to do it more at those times than any other time. Man, when I'm God's man of faith and power, I just usually just wreck it all. Right? So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Lord, we don't want our confidence to be in human ability, in human wisdom, in human oratory or rhetoric, intelligence. Lord, these are gifts that you give to the church and we're grateful for. But Lord, we want our confidence to rest in the power of God. And I pray for each of my sisters and brothers here today who may be facing, as I often face, I often feel this way, a sense of inadequacy how that over and over and over again you have just said just keep going yeah but lord i it sucks life sucks everything's falling apart keep going you'll see another day you'll live another day keep going just go forward just obey don't be afraid keep speaking for i have many people in this city i have many people in this city so lord we're going to be faithful we're going to continue to follow you. We're not going to allow fear. Yeah, it affects our feelings. It affects our emotions. But we're not going to let it dictate our decisions. We're going to follow you.
1: Ronna, can you just come up, please? I just want just to share very briefly uh, a testimony of healing. Because I think the Lord is... When God says that he... he um, when the word goes forth, it, it produces what the word is sent forth to do so rana she's um not here all the time but i've seen this woman limping and uh, almost not being able to walk she and i just want to release healing and the word that god's giving me is you will reap if you faint not so some of us have been in this for a while sarah you've been walking believing god for a while and there's some of you are going to get a tremendous impartation from the lord today so just share what happened with your knee
3: this is just the most recent healing. <laughs> but um, my knee has gone really bad. I was, it was actually, I was falling over because my knee would just give out. And finally we ended up getting an MRI done on it and it found it had a double torn meniscus that was very serious and a bunch of other damage to it. And um, the doctors had said I was gonna have to have a complete knee replacement on it. I had to wear a brace just so I would, wouldn't fall over and. It was extremely painful walking upstairs. I could do like a baby, you know, one stair at a time, and and all of a sudden one morning, a lot of people were praying for it. But one morning I got up and there was no more pain. It was gone completely. I don't wear the brace anymore, and there's no limp anymore, and the pain's completely gone. So, but I just kept going through it. You know, a lot of times the enemy wants these things to completely stop us from doing whatever it is God has for us, and we've got to make a choice. To know who wins and carry on in spite of it.
1: So, Rana, could you stay up here? And anybody that has been experiencing that kind of debilitating thing, a chronic thing? I know I had a chronic uh, problem with bursitis. Hi, Ara. Welcome. So, anybody that has had a chronic condition that's been just besetting you, I want you to... I don't know whether we need to go to you, but there's healing oil here. And maybe Peter, you can help us with that. Or, but I just feel like the Lord is inviting us into a response. He's inviting us into a response, and I remember I just like, boy, oh boy, I I just I had to, you know there was times when I couldn't hardly stand because I I won't go into details, but there was a problem I had with my foot, and so I was leaning too hard on this. For I had a gimby cast on this leg at one time, and I ended up with bursitis. I'm completely free now from that pain. So let's release the healing for chronic illness right now for anybody that suffers from any kind of, there's something happening in this couple here, I don't really know what's going on, but something that's weighing you down, the Lord wants to completely release you from, I don't know what it is, maybe we can pray about it.
3: I I really sense there's some people here, more than one, that are going through some type of you know, diagnosis, whether it's something terminal or something that's ongoing or a very close relative of yours has i was diagnosed 17 years ago with terminal leukemia i was given two to three months to live and i don't look very dead i don't feel it anyways (laughs) i know that with god there is nothing impossible so your doctors might say you've got two to three months but i can tell you god says you've got a lot ahead of you amen
0: right on it's a good word yeah, Those are words, and I'm just going to encourage you to come up if you want prayer, just even while we're still giving words, if you need prayer. There's some of you I just feel you want to give your life to to the Lord today. You just you just need someone to pray with you about just giving your life over to the Lord, and you don't know what that looks like or what it means, but you just sense Him calling you in, in your heart, and if you just feel that kind of tug and heart beating a little faster, that's the Holy Spirit just calling you, uh, so come and just receive and get prayer, or Let somebody who's with you that may have brought you pray with you. uh, We believe in that as well. Aldona?
4: Just a word of encouragement how supernatural physical healing really is. Very, very quick testimony. About nine years ago, I was really, really, really mad at the man that I, I, I divorced and um, I'd was I I'd work off my anger by working out, running, swimming, and stuff like that. So I was running like a maniac around Templeton Track, like running, 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 running. And the whole time I was running, I was cursing that person badly. Like every word you don't want to hear. And I was, you know, shouting that out as I was running. And I rolled on a twig, and my... Leg, knee went down. My leg was up. I was crawling, hoping somebody would hear me say, mm-hmm. "Call 911." And I was told I would need this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 blah. And it took about a year. I didn't have to go through any of those operations, but what God had me do was repent and ask for forgiveness for cursing that person that hurt me so badly. And he started working on my heart to forgive. And as I was learning how to do that, that's when the healing started taking place. So I wanted to share the connection. Yeah. It's yeah. supernatural. It's awesome, though, when you get to experience. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I, I love that. When they brought the paralytic to Jesus, the first thing he said is, your sins are forgiven you. Because healing is, is spirit, soul, and body. It's all of us, isn't it? So, Lord, we just invite you to come. Lord, we we need your power. We need your strength. We need your grace. We are helpless without you. We are lost without you. But we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just come, Lord. Just where these words are are speaking to people, Lord, we just uh, release your Holy Spirit to unlock doors and to... Break chains. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, encourage us today to use the authority that you've given us to not be arrogant about it, to be humble, to be broken about it, to be recognize our own weakness and futility. But Father, I pray that we will be more and more a church that moves in the supernatural, naturally supernatural. Where we don't make a big deal of it, but it's, it's about you. It's about trusting in your power and not in us. I'd like to invite us all to stand, if we could. So I'm going to bless you, and I really want to encourage you to go and just support our brothers and sisters at Strathcona today. Just go down to their little hot dog roast. I think the Lord held off the rain, which is really cool. But if for some reason it does start raining, uh, they said they'd be at Strathcona Church, and the the address is in your bulletin. And uh, just support them. Just be crazy generous and uh, bless them. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, empowering you to walk as spirit people, people full of the Holy Spirit, people influenced by the Holy Spirit, people led of the Holy Spirit, that the Lord Jesus Christ may be honored and glorified, that His kingdom would come that we may be agents of that kingdom throughout this week until the consummation of time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you.